All good, Max. Thank you. Well, good morning, well, Senior Minister here. Um, great to have our guests with us today and first-timers. And as we always say here, if you come once, you're a regular. So uh, welcome to all the regulars. Great to have you with us. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series, one that makes me a tiny, tiny bit nervous. Um, uh, we are going to talk about generosity for the next three weeks. Um, if you're brand new at church uh, and you think we always talk about money at church, it's not true. Um, this is pretty irregular for us and it's actually very irregular for me to talk about it. So uh, let me just launch into it and uh, if you're... Let me just launch into it. Uh, I remember my first ever paycheck. Uh, I was uh, 18, I just finished year 12, just finished HSC and uh, my friend got me a job on a cruise boat on the harbour. Have we got sound coming through, Max? I feel quite, we're good. Okay, it's just me. Um, so, this was my job. Uh, summer parties uh, on the harbour, working on the cruise boat. Uh, every night, uh, it felt like a party. We served drinks, we carried uh, trays of nibbles, uh, we ate king prawns from the buffet for our dinner every night on the shift. At the end of the shift, there was always champagne for all the workers. Um, it was literally a party every night. And uh, it was wonderful and fun. And uh, on New Year's Eve, our boat was parked, I think, right underneath the fireworks. It was amazing. Um, so there you are on harbour, not only enjoying the party, but getting paid. Best of all, two weeks after I started, the boss calls me into the office. And uh, not because I was in trouble, but because he had an envelope for me, full of crisp 50 and $100 bills. And this was on top of the tips that we got paid anyway. It was so good to get paid for this job. And... I remember that feeling of the first paycheck, having money in your hands all of a sudden, this money that you earned yourself, money that you deserved, money that could bring you, well, what could it bring you? Freedom, adventure, security, choice, a um, bit of freedom from mum and dad. Um, do you remember that moment having that money in your hands? Uh, well, I've got no idea what I spent that money on, probably, probably uh, going out and buying clothes. That's what we did back then. Uh, I certainly don't have that money anymore. It's gone. Whew, gone. And uh, I remember that day particularly because I think it was the day that I fell in love with money as well. Not just having it, but really kind of wanting it and enjoying what it could do for me. So um, over the next three Sundays, we are talking about Am I going to click? Oh, sorry, that was the right one. So the next three, three Sundays, we are going to be thinking about um, money and the generous life, and particularly what the Bible says about money and possessions and wealth and what we do with it. Um, like I said, it can be an awkward topic to talk about, but it is important for us. Uh, it's a matter of discipleship and a matter of uh, obedience and a matter of worship. And, and I think over the next three weeks as we talk about this, I, I want us to move from having a kind of me-centered lens of what money is for to, to moving to a gospel lens for what our money is for, like a, a biblical view of what money is for and seeing it the way that God sees it. And so rather than think about money as principally something for us and for our own personal use, seeing it as the way that God uses wealth to bless the entire world. Um, because I think our generous God is a God who wants us to live a generous life. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be thinking about. Um, as I said, if you're a visitor with you here, I um, hope you enjoy it. As I said, we don't always talk about money. Maybe God will speak to you today. If you're regular with us, I think it's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable for the next three weeks. Don't stay home. Don't, don't sort of 
I know it's the school holidays, but, but don't avoid it just because it's a difficult topic. Come and let God speak to you through his word because I think we're a wealthy church by the standards of the world and we're not immune to the dangers in the passages that we're going to read about. And so it's important for God to speak to us in this matter. And why don't we pray that God would speak to us now as we open the scriptures. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you give us life, you give us breath, you give us everything we have, as you tell us in Acts 17. As we think about wealth this morning, will you teach us that everything we have comes from you? Help us to be thankful and generous and keep us from the love of money. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I want to start with a little bit of controversy. I'm going to suggest there's two kinds of people in the world. There are those who love camping and those who love hotels. Uh, who are my camping people? Who are my hotel people? Um, some people say that... <laughs> Some people say they like both, camping and hotels. I can tell you, if you're a hotel person, you don't like camping. Um, <laughs> camping people are like, why not? And um, hotel people are like, because obviously you're in the wilderness. And Well, um, I grew up camping with my family. We had a pretty modest little pop-out pop, pop tent thing on a trailer. And, you know, by today's standards of van lifes and those big caravans, it was not very fancy at all. Um, but I love camping in the outdoors, and I got to do it all over the country as a teenager and in my young 20s. Here's the controversy. I got married to Jo. Her family is a hotel family. Like, literally, her father worked in the hospitality industry. So he worked for hotels, airplanes, and cruise boats. And so we had very different upbringings, pup tent versus five-star hotel. And um, she's a very gracious woman, and she's learning to appreciate camping. Um, we've, we've been trying for 30 years, and we're... <laughs> We're a little bit along the way. Um, I am going to say there are some things about hotels that I appreciate. They're pretty nice. There's little shampoos you get. That's not really it. Um, they are positive. And, uh, and our kids, I think they like both, although I think they probably prefer hotels. <laughs> maybe, maybe, he says. Well, there's one universal experience when you're camping, and I think it's this. No matter how good you are at packing, no matter how good you are at making lists, no matter how big your car or your trailer is, you always get to camp and you've forgotten something. Is that right? Um, and so, you know, a lot of the time you can, you can get away with it. Um, something not too important like a toothbrush or deodorant. You can go a week without that stuff. Um, uh, rain jacket, batteries for the torch or the torch at all. Um, leaving that behind is awkward. Uh, forgetting your matches. Uh, I've forgotten all of those in the past. Um, I do think if I forgot coffee, we would have to go to the shop because I'm not sure that I can go a week without coffee. It's probably a bad thing. Um, most of the time, you can live without the thing that you forgot at home. Um, and maybe you can live without it for a week or, or maybe even a little bit longer. It might make things a bit uncomfortable, but um, at the end of the day, in a few days, you're home, you forgot about the uncomfortableness and the discomfort is forgotten. Now, the reason we talk about camping is because the Bible says life is a little bit like a camping trip. Um, our earthly bodies and this earthly life, they're not forever. They're actually temporary, just like going camping. And our real home, our eternal home, is in heaven with God. So listen to how uh, the Apostle Paul puts it in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So as we start to think about money and wealth and possessions, the first lesson to, to learn is that this earthly life is not all that there is. Um, our earthly body is just a tent 
Paul says, it's temporary. It's a, it's a temporary shelter um, that we're camping in while we wait to get home. And this is a profound idea for our concept of wealth and security and permanence because we often think of our earthly home as the place where we feel safe, the, the place where we keep our possessions. It, it's the place where our memories live. And the, our house, our home, it can be a bit like the centre of gravity for our whole world. But Paul says if we think like that, we've actually misunderstood where our true home is. Our true home is in heaven. And if something, sorry, that home in heaven is something that God has built for us. Uh, he didn't build it with human hands and, and earthly materials that fall down and break down. Instead, it's this eternal home. Um, and it's a place where all of our wealth and security and permanence and, and home, that's where we find it, in heaven. I think for those of us who have earthly homes where we kind of put all of that weight we can get very attached to them. And, and Paul says, no, it's just a tent. You're just camping for a bit. And I think that's why he says it, it doesn't matter if the earthly tent is destroyed. Um, what he means is our earthly bodies. He says they're not going to last forever. And so we shouldn't pretend like they are. And, and our earthly homes, they're not going to last forever. And so we shouldn't pretend like they are. And then it means when it comes to our earthly wealth and our, and our stuff, we shouldn't pretend like it's going to be with us forever. You know those Egyptian pharaohs who tried to bring it with them? They got buried in those big tombs with all of their gold and stuff around them. Well, it stayed there for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years until grave robbers came and stole it, didn't it? This life is only temporary and our stuff is only temporary. It's just here, it's on loan to us for a little while. So Paul says we need to keep our eyes fixed on our real home. He says this uh, in the verse before, it's at the end of chapter 4, but this is literally the verse right before. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that's our first big idea. Remember that this life is not all there is, and fix your eyes on what is unseen. Fix your eyes on what is to come. Second big idea is about finding contentment. Um, I... Uh, had the privilege of going back and forth to Rwanda for a number of years from 2005. I think I went four or five years in a row. Got to teach a theology class with these guys. It was amazing. There's me. I was young and skinny and full of enthusiasm. I'm all of those things now except not young or skinny. One of the best things I think about going to Africa was um, spending all this time worshipping with different people and, and knowing it's the same Jesus, but particularly getting the chance to open the Bible. And there are lots of questions that my friends had. These are ministers and, and campus leaders. One of the biggest questions in Africa is about the prosperity gospel. Um, do you know what the prosperity gospel is? Essentially, it's a teaching that says, um, if you pursue godliness, it'll lead to great gain. In other words, follow Jesus and he'll make you rich. Uh, follow Jesus, he'll make you rich. And so um, they say that we should ask God and expect God to bless us with all kinds of things, material wealth and possessions and, and great jobs and perfect health and anything we ever wanted. Um, kind of like God is this genie who's going to answer all of our wishes. Be, God, uh, be godly and God will give you all that blessing. And I guess when you read passages like the Malachi one we read before, it does feel a little bit like that, doesn't it? 
Um, I'm sure you've heard of that kind of teaching. These guys in Rwanda certainly had. Um, they told me this story about a preacher who came in, flew in on a private jet, uh, rolled into town in a Bentley. He's in a flashy suit and he tells people, uh, sow a seed, in other words, give some money, sow a seed and God will return it to you 30, 60 or 100 times what you put in. So the poorest people in the world are going to the bank and borrowing money to sow a seed, expecting to get 100 times in return. And um, unfortunately, they didn't, and it was devastating for people's faith, and, and not to mention their financial situation as the poorest of the poor. Well, back in 1, Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says that kind of teaching is actually false teaching, telling people that godliness leads to great gain. It's false teaching. Instead, he says this. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what, is, what does contentment look like when it comes to our wealth? Um, because where we live, we're in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Um, I imagine for most of us, contentment would look like what? Having enough, having enough to eat, having a, having a nice house, um, having enough money to pursue the things we want to do, um, probably being able to continue to do that into retirement, I think would make most of us content. Maybe having enough to help the kids buy a house. What, what would make you content? Um, I actually don't know the answer. I, haven't, I don't think I've asked enough people at Robbo what, what would make you content. Um, but for me, I think that's the, the financial vision of contentment that I would have grown up with. All of those things, plus being able to buy everything else you wanted in life and never having to say no. Um, that, that was what I grew up with. And um, I think that kind of contentment where there's lots of possessions and the ability to do whatever you want in life, that is um, my kind of, well, that's the vision of financial contentment that I grew up with. Everybody looks at me like, your family must have been awful. Maybe we were, I don't know. You can come and judge me afterwards, or you can just silently judge me right now. Well, here's the thing. Paul's vision of financial contentment is considerably less than what I just said right there. For him, he says, actually be careful because one day you're going to die. It's a bit like Beck's kids talk, isn't it? He says, got to remember that you brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. Uh, you won't be able to take it with you, he says. Death, it's a great equaliser. It reminds us that we all leave this earth the way that we entered it, naked and completely helpless. And uh, as Beck's kids story, uh, Kids Talk told us back in Luke chapter 12, there's that guy who has a bumper crop, a farmer one year, and, and, he, and he's got so much grain that he doesn't know what to do with it. So he says, I'm going to tear down my, my, my nice barns and I'm going to build even bigger barns. And, and I'm going to build bigger ones so I can store it up and enjoy my grain and it's all for me and it's all for me and I'm, I'm, I'm rich. And then, of course, you know how the story goes. God comes and visits him that night and says, you're a fool. Tonight, it's all going to be taken away from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Who's going to get the nest egg? Who's going to get the superannuation? Who's going to get all of that that you built up? He was a fool because he failed to recognize that what he had was from God. And it wasn't just for him. It was actually to be a blessing to others. It was given to him by God and God could take it away at any minute. And we're going to think in a minute about the people in the world for whom homes, possessions, wealth, they're not something permanent. It's disappeared. People in Ukraine, as a war comes, people in the Horn of Africa where famine comes, all those things that we think of as permanent for them sometimes, not, not because I think God thinks they're fools, but 
sometimes they're just not there with us anymore. We don't get to keep them forever. So brothers and sisters, first idea, we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of us. And Jesus warns us against all kinds of greed. He says, a person's life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Um, I feel like that's how I grew up with the opposite of that message. Uh, there was an old bumper sticker that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. Do you know that one? I think that was our family motto, probably. Um, but it's wrong because whoever has the most toys, well, they still die anyway. And um, I think this is a warning for the men out there. I've just got a little warning for men. I think for us, this might be one that we need to hear. He who dies with a toy, or the most toys hasn't won in life. That, that's not what makes you win. Um, I need to be careful about it myself. Um, I was telling somebody this morning, when I first wrote this sermon, or when I first spoke on this passage, I think in my garage at the time, I had 18 different wheels on different things. And I'm not talking about lawnmowers. It was, you know, bicycles and cars and trailers and motorcycles. There was an awful lot. Um, and so um, I, I recalled when I started cycling, I was probably about 38, 39. And um, the guy in the, the bike store, he sees me coming as this middle-aged crisis guy. And, um, <laughs> and he, he shows me this bike. He says, this is the one you want. It's very modest this Italian bike, it was fantastic. It's only $4,000, very modest, he says, compared to the fifteen dollars and $20,000 bicycles. Um, it's not even a motorcycle, right? And, and, and in 10 minutes, I was like, well, yeah, I think that is a modest choice. I, I should. I didn't buy it, but yeah, I was tempted. And I, and I need to stay away from shops like that because they're kind of like sirens on the rocks. You know, they sing that alluring song, buy me and your life will be so much better. You know, buy the $4,000 bike and, and you'll be able to ride fast like everybody else. Well, it's all about the legs, not the bike. Um, where's your temptation fall? And I don't know the answer to this and you're going to have to think about it and tell me, but you know, for you, is it, is it clothes or is it shoes? Um, maybe it's stamps in the uh, passport. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's motorcycles. Maybe it's tools. Maybe it's that idea of having a great big shed on your acreage. I say this as a person who's got a great big shed on acreage. Um, is it having your shed full of stuff? Is it, is it a manicured veggie patch? Um, well, I've got a picture for you. No, I don't. Oh, it's not there. It's going to come later, just to remind you uh, of some of the things that I wish I had. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, says Jesus. Uh, instead, Paul says, be content with a simple life. He says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Could you imagine being content with just food and clothing if that was all you needed? It's not even shelter, is it? Just food and clothing, you'd be content with that. Um, it's a very low bar for contentment. I find it a really challenging verse. And um, I was thinking... Food and clothing, would I even be happy with that? And then you realise there's people in the world for whom food and clothing is not even the low bar that they can reach. They don't even have that every day. Don't even have food and clothing, those two most basic needs. So I wonder what happens when somebody reads this who's a refugee, somebody who's been forced to flee from their home, somebody who's homeless, somebody who's suffering in famine, somebody who's living below the poverty line. And they look at the way we live and we say, oh no, we don't have enough. I need just a little bit more and then I can give something to you. Wonder how they feel about that. Um, I'm not going to try and describe it anymore. Maxie, you're going to play a video for us. Um, this is from Compassion Australia. Um, 
This talks about the uh, food crisis around the world at the moment. So let's let them talk. According to the United Nations, the world is moving backwards in its efforts to fight food insecurity and malnutrition. But what is food insecurity? Food insecurity occurs when a person doesn't have regular access to enough nutritious food. In 2019, 135 million people were facing acute food insecurity. Acute food insecurity means that a person's life is in danger as a result of not being able to consume adequate food. Now, that number has more than doubled to 345 million people. This is more than 10 times Australia's population. So how did we get here? The current food crisis is due to intensifying global events. Put simply, the main causes are conflict, costs, climate and COVID-19. Conflict is the biggest driver of hunger globally, responsible for over 60% of people currently facing hunger and food insecurity. The war in Ukraine is intensifying the food crisis. Russia and Ukraine are responsible for supplying almost 30% of the world's wheat and a significant amount of global fertiliser. Weather extremes pushed over 23 million people into acute food insecurity in 2021 alone. Drought is disrupting vital agriculture production, especially in Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia. There is not a shortage of food in the world. Part of the problem lies instead with how much food costs and how it's being distributed. The pandemic has drastically increased the number of families living with severe food insecurity due to loss of work and other restrictions. The global food crisis is affecting many of Compassion's partner countries. The price of food, cooking oil and fuel has increased exponentially and will likely continue or worsen, impacting households already stretched thin. The situation is critical. The world is facing a hunger epidemic unlike any other. But hope is not lost. The local community is taking action, and you can too. Sign up for the 345 Challenge to help Compassion's local partners fight this growing epidemic. The time to act is now. You can answer hunger with hope. Challenging, isn't it? The verse said, uh, the verse said, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Makes me wonder, you know, as people who understand that we have Jesus, we've got this eternal hope that our home is not here. What we have is just borrowed stuff that God has given us for the good of the world. Uh, Can we really look at this and do nothing? Um, There you go. Uh, challenging verse. We're going to move on. One more idea. Uh, come back to 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10. So Paul gets to the heart of the problem um, with money. And the surprising thing is that money itself is not the problem. So he says, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people 
eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Um, so do you notice what Paul says here? He actually says um, that riches, uh, he doesn't say that riches are a trap. He doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. He actually says it's the desire to be rich that causes people to fall into temptation. And it's the love of money that's the root of all kind of evil. So actually having money or wealth is not, not a big deal. Like that's not a problem. It's what you do with it and how you think about it and on whether it's an idol or not for you. The problem lies with wanting more than you already had. And that desire becomes the driving force in your life, the thing that occupies your waking moments. So, so perhaps the, the thought goes like this, I know I've got a car, and I know it's a pretty good car, but if I had that other car, then my life would be so much better. Or, um, or, or I don't know, this might be you. Um, our life would be so much better if we could have a holiday in Hawaii rather than foster or something like that. Or, or maybe my life would be better if we, if we renovated the kitchen. Or maybe my life would be better if my super fund was topped up a little bit more. Maybe they're the ways you think. And for Christian people, this kind of thinking can so fill our heads that I feel like we can end up having no more room left for God. And so we sort of think to ourselves uh, metaphorically, I'll tear down my little barns and I'll build bigger barns. And of course, to that God says, that is foolish thinking. Here in 1 Timothy 6, we read, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many kinds of grief. Uh, Warren Buffett, a billionaire, sometimes philanthropist, he once said, too often a vast collection of possessions ends up possessing its owner. So our stuff can end up owning us, not the other way. If you've ever owned a boat, you'll know that's true. Best two, best two days of owning a boat, the day you buy it and the day you get rid of it. Um, <laughs> the love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil and we need to be on guard against all kinds of greed. There's a lot of challenges in here and that's all we've got time for today, but um, I think there's lots more to think about. I began with that story of my first paycheck and so I wanna, want you to finish with a little mental game. Imagine what happened if you walked out of here today and somebody gave you that same kind of thing. Maybe not like the paycheck that excites an 18-year-old, but the sort that would excite a person your age. Like imagine your work or your pension fund or whatever it is, your investments just yielded this massive bonus. And all of a sudden you've got, I don't know what the number is for you, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000, half a million to play with. What would you do with it? You know, is, is it a new car? Is it the new kitchen? Is it a new toy? Is it... Uh, we put it all on the mortgage, we pay off all of our debts, do we invest in the future? And that's what my thinking went to. I didn't think about the starving 345 million people in the world. I didn't necessarily think about the starving people in the world who are starving to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our home is not permanent here on earth and our stuff is just borrowed for the moment. And uh, this is a hard sort of sermon. I know people like, people like it's really hard to make eye contact with when I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> the gospel teaches us that we can see money differently and our wealth and possessions differently so that my money is not just all about me and what I deserve and what I've earned. This is what I've earned. Money is actually something which God has given for the benefit of all of society. And uh, as a church, we should be leading the world in our generosity and living the generous life. Uh, we're going to think about that over the next couple of weeks. But for this week, why don't you think about contentment and what does contentment look like for you and your family uh, or, or whatever situation you're in. Talk about it with the people you love, the groups you're in, 
Talk about your heavenly, talk, talk with it. Talk about it with your heavenly father. And we're going to do that now. Let's pray. As we begin, I'm just going to read again those verses that came at the end of 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 onwards. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 